Well, I'm here uh, to fill in for Pastor Mark today. He's out this morning. I'm actually going to be out the next couple of Sundays. Our family has a really great opportunity to go to Israel. So we're leaving on Tuesday. We'll be there about two weeks. My uh, brother-in-law is stationed in Tel Aviv and we're going to have a chance to, to use them as a home base and see a bunch of stuff. So uh, I don't say that to brag, by the way, but, uh, but I'm going to Israel on Tuesday. So... <laughs> But I'm here today, so uh, over the last few weeks, we've been uh, going through this series that's called Starting Point. And so we've been looking at different aspects of the Christmas story, and it's also been the theme of our Living Christmas Tree program. So I'm going to kind of continue on that as we prepare um, and just continue thinking about the Christmas story. But you know, one of the challenges as a pastor when it comes to Christmas is finding like a way to get over the familiarity of the story. Uh, really with all of the Bible, there's so much to learn. But if you've been in church for a long time, you've kind of you know, developed the idea that you've heard it all. So, oh, this aspect, oh yeah, I know what that lesson is about. Or this passage of scripture, yeah, I, I've got that. And so one of the challenges as, as, as I was studying and, uh, and just praying about what to share with you all is, is looking at an aspect of the Christmas story that is so familiar it can be overlooked or we might not get the depth of what God may want to teach us. And so uh, we're going to be in Luke chapter 1 this morning and we're going to look at this passage that really was the starting point of the Christmas story, at least for the events that led up to the birth of of Jesus. So if you have a Bible, we're going to be in Luke chapter 1. I'll be reading out of the NIV. Uh, on the screen, you, you'll probably see some of the passages, but I'm going to be jumping to some other passages this morning. So I want to invite you, grab a Bible, be ready to open it, be ready to flip with me. If you prefer a smartphone or, or the Bible app on, on your device, that's a great way to, to get in with me as well. If you do not have a Bible, if you look in front of you, there's some blue Bibles in the pews, and we have those available for you. If you would like to take one, they're absolutely free. Uh, we invite you to take that home with you if you need it. But uh, we're going to begin in Luke chapter 1 this morning in verse 5. So join with me as I read Luke 1 verse 5. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who had belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly, but they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. I'm going to pause right there and just give some context. So many of you are familiar with Luke chapter 1. It begins with these two interactions with one of God's angels, specifically the angel Gabriel, bringing God's message to a couple of different people. This first one where we just began to read about is Zechariah. We're going to read about him more in just a minute. If you go further in chapter one, we see the angel appearing to Mary and giving her God's word or God's promise as well. So Luke chapter one is packed with um, some, some key events that are leading up to the birth of Christ. Now, if you notice the songs this morning, a lot of them had to do with angels and that was on purpose because really one of the key aspects of Luke chapter 1 is the fact that God did use angels to bring these incredible messages to these servants of God. And so we're going to look at that this morning. And we're going to take a couple of sidetracks. But first, let's continue reading verse 8. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty... 
and he was serving as a priest before God. He was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you are to call him John. I'm gonna pause again right there and I'm gonna take you on one of the sidetracks that we're gonna go on today. Did you notice the common depiction of angels that we have in our culture. It's kind of like a man-like figure wearing a white robe with wings, sometimes even a halo. Have you ever seen like artistic representations of angels? Even on the screen a minute ago, I don't know if you caught it, but there was like this outline of a, of a man, almost like a woman-like figure blowing a trumpet with wings. And that's generally the, the stereotypical view of angels that we have. And although that would be an interesting sight, I don't think it captures the, the depth of what the scriptures tell us about angels and how intimidating or how even fearful it would be if you or I were to encounter a message such as what Zechariah was encountering here. So bear with me for a second. I wanna give a quick summary of biblical teachings on angels because I think it points back to what we can learn from this passage and what we can learn from the, really the grandeur of the Christmas story in general. But I wanna overview just a couple of things about what the Bible says about angels. First of all, uh, angels are created beings. God created them, but they're on another level than humans. They're supernatural. They're spiritual beings that often take physical forms. And the Bible teaches us about a few different kinds of forms. I'm going to give you a quick summary of some of them. First of all, you often hear the word archangel being referred to when it comes to angels. And that wasn't necessarily a type of angel. It was more of a ranking of an angel or a role of an angel. And the angel Michael is actually the only angel that's listed or specifically labeled as an archangel in scripture. Although a lot of scholars would believe that Gabriel, the angel that we're reading about today, probably was also an archangel because of the role that he played in God's plan. So there's archangels, those are like the rankings of angels. But the specific angels that we see described in the Bible, one of them is known as the cherubim. And cherubim were angels who who really had the, the, the role of guarding. And even as far back as the Garden of Eden, after Adam and Eve had sinned and and God cast them out of the garden, the scriptures tell us that God appointed an angel, a cherub, to guard the entrance of the garden so that man would not come back in and eat of the fruit of the tree. And so these cherubim are seen throughout scripture, usually as these warrior type of angels, and they're described in the following way. And I want you to compare this description with like the glowing white robed two winged figure, okay? It says that usually when we see the the cherubim, we usually see uh, descriptions of four faces, one of a man, one of a lion, one of an ox, and one of an eagle. They have four feet like a calf and four wings. So I guess this is where we can get the idea that angels have wings, but those floating little guys, 
They don't have four faces. They don't have four wings. They probably don't look anything like what we would encounter if we saw a true cherub uh, created being by God who has this intense, incredible, otherworldly, supernatural type of appearance. So the reason I'm going here is because it gets uh, continues in Scripture and it gives us a different type of angel that are known as seraphim. If you're familiar with Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah encounters God in his throne room and he describes these angels who are in the throne room of God and these angels are known as seraphim. That word actually means the burning ones. So these seraphim are described to have six wings. With two they fly, with two they cover their feet, and with two they cover their faces. And once again, we see the idea of wings, but a lot different than what we may think of. And this description in Isaiah 6 tells us that their voices, as they worshiped the Lord and claimed, holy, holy, holy is the Lord, that their voices shook the temple and it filled the temple with smoke. And so here was Isaiah, and Isaiah was in the presence of these seraphim, these angels, and he realized, man, this is a whole other level, and I'm not worthy to be here. And he cries out, woe to me, for I am not worthy. So these angels, these seraphim, were even themselves covering their faces because they were not worthy of the Lord. And I'm going to talk about that in just a second. There's one other specific type of angel that's mentioned in the Bible, and these are simply known as the living creatures, and these are found in Ezekiel as well as it is in Revelation, and many uh, scholars would actually believe that these living creatures are the same as seraphim because of the way they're described. Um, these each have one face, one is the face of a lion, one is the face of an ox, one is the face of a man, and one is the face of an eagle, and they also have six wings. And, and in Revelation 4, we see these angels in the presence of God offering worship and offering uh, honor to God. And so that's why many would say that the seraphim are the same as what, what, uh, what we see in the living creatures. So those are the specific descriptions of angels in the Bible. If we were to see one of those... We'd be pretty freaked out, right? And I think that that's why when we see angels talking with people, when we have accounts of that in the Bible, what is the first word that comes out of the angel's mouth or the first phrase is always like, do not be afraid. Like, it's okay. It's because people were gripped with fear. We saw that with Zechariah. We see that over and over. Isaiah, uh, you know, whenever an angel shows up, it's like this sense of, of man, I... Should I even be here? I have no idea what's going on. And this seems to be way beyond what I can understand. Before I continue, let me just also say that another uh, type of angel that we kind of see in Scripture may fit in with one of the three that I described. But some scholars would just call them common angels. And that's not a diss. That's not an insult. They're not common as in, ah, just whatever. It's just that they weren't specifically described but they were the ones that would carry the message of God. And that's really what the word angel means. It really means messenger. That's the literal meaning of the word angel. And so angels were carrying messages from God. They're doing the will of God. Uh, we see that angels can guide us. We see that they help accomplish God's will. They can encourage, they can minister to us. They can deliver a message from God and, and much more, but there's also fallen angels. And those would be those 
of the types that I describe who chose to rebel against God. And, and I mentioned the cherub, and many scholars actually believe that Satan was a cherub uh, when he chose to rebel. And so we see this throughout Scripture. This is a big topic that we could spend a lot of time on, but I wanted to kind of summarize it so that we can come back to this passage and realize that here was Zechariah, a normal priestly guy doing his duties, who encountered an angel of the Lord, specifically the angel Gabriel, and his first response was fear, as is many. But just think about that. These supernatural created beings that have descriptions or appearances that are far beyond our understanding. If we were to be in their presence, we would be humbled, intimidated, and fearful. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because how easy is it for us to kind of gloss over some of these things in Scripture and even characteristics about God himself and think, oh, it's just an angel. Or it's just God speaking to somebody. But how easy is it to put God in a box? You know what that means, right? Is when we limit him or we, we kind of, we, we don't give him the credit that it's due. It's just like, oh, it's, we take it for granted. But if even supernatural beings like angels are so intimidating to a human that we don't even know what to do when they're in their presence, imagine standing before the presence of God. That these supernatural, otherworldly beings in the presence of God can't even look at God. They cover their faces with their wings and they have no excuse but to cry, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. That's what they do in the presence of God. What would we do in the presence of God? We wouldn't be worthy of it. We couldn't stand it. And I think it's important to always keep in mind that we serve an amazing, incredible, glorious God. And he, we can't even fathom, we can't even put our minds around what it would be like to be in the presence of God. And yet, that's what the Christmas story is all about. Is that he loves us so much that even though he is almighty and all powerful and we are not worthy to be in his presence, that he loves us so much that he made a way for us to be able to come to him with confidence because of what he did by giving us Jesus. You know, in Philippians 2, 6 and 8, it reminds us that Jesus was in very nature God, but he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. You know, this is what Christmas is all about, that the God of creation chose to include us in his plan and part of his plan was announced by his messenger, Gabriel, the angel, to the priest, Zechariah. So let's go back to Luke chapter 1. Thanks for taking that little side trip with me. Let's get back to this conversation between Gabriel and Zechariah. We read uh, some facts about them. And you could see that the main message that the angel Gabriel was bringing was found in Verse 14, verse 13, I'm sorry. Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you are to call him John. We're not gonna be able to get to John here this morning, but you know that that's the man who's come to be known as John the Baptist. He was the one that began to preach about Jesus and to prepare the way for Jesus. So he had a huge role in God's plan in leading up to the fulfillment of God's will with Jesus being born, being, living a perfect life, going to the cross, uh, being resurrected, and, and he is coming again. So John had a huge role in that. And so this angel is coming to deliver this message to Zechariah. Now, a couple facts about Zechariah and Elizabeth that I want to point out to you. We don't know a lot about them, but this passage tells us some things. First of all, we see in uh, verse 6 
that they were righteous in the sight of God, that they observed all the Lord's commands. We see in verse seven that they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive. In verse seven, it also says they were both very old. Now, I don't wanna step on any toes here, but I did some research on that. They were probably between 60 and 70 years old at that time. So if you're 60 to 70, you're very old, but I didn't say it, the Bible said it, okay? <laughs> so you know, don't get mad at me. I think somewhere in the Bible, it also says that, that those who are 43 are very young. Um, and so uh, I, I can't remember the verse, but it, it said that somewhere. Um, so, so we see these, these things about them, right? That they're, they're righteous in the sight of God. They were childless. They were very old, which means, again, 60 to 70, sorry, but I didn't say it. Uh, we also know that Zechariah had been praying for many years for a son. We see that in verse 13 when the angel said, hey, your prayers have been answered. God's gonna give you a son. So we see that that was in his heart. That was something that he longed for. If we were to read a little bit further in verse 25, it says that Elizabeth felt disgrace because she had not been able to, to get pregnant. So we see a little picture of the humanity of, of Zechariah and Elizabeth. And I think a lot of these things are, are relatable to us. And this last point about Zechariah's prayer and his longing for a son and, and Elizabeth's uh, feelings of, of disgrace because she wasn't able to conceive. I think this is where we see our main point today. And I'm going to repeat this several times with the few minutes that we have left is that God's timing is always right. And when it comes to Christmas, when it comes to, to everything around us, God's timing is always right. But God's timing doesn't always match up with ours, right? And that's something that we need to look for here in this passage. So let me ask you a question. Like Zechariah, who spent years praying for a son or, or Elizabeth, longing to, to have a, a child. Is there something in your life that you've been praying for and pressing into God for that's just not happening? Maybe it's health or healing. Maybe it literally is for, for a child like Zechariah and Elizabeth. Maybe it's for the salvation of, of a loved one or, or a friend that you've just been praying and praying and, and just asking God to do this and it's not happening yet. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe you're seeking a relationship and you've been praying and God hasn't provided that person for you. Or maybe it's a broken uh, marriage or an, a marriage with issues and you've been praying, God, would you fix this? Would you come through with this? Would you restore this? Is there something in your life that you've been praying and praying and praying for that does not seem to be happening? I think many of us can relate to that in different ways. And I think that that's what we can learn from this section of the Christmas story is that God was sending an angel, a messenger to give this message that, hey, I have heard your prayer and I'm gonna use you and your family in amazing ways, but it's in my timing. God's timing is always right. Can you imagine Zechariah hearing that message? I don't wanna put words in his mouth, or thoughts in his head, but he must have been thinking like, wait, 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 what? Did you just tell me that my prayers have, have been heard and, and, and we're gonna have a, a son? That's what the angel says. Look back with me to verse 14 of Luke 1. He will be a joy and delight to you. 
Many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He's never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. In verse 18, Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm a, uh, an old man and my wife is well along in years. And the angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I've been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you'll be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. So again, I don't want to put words in Zechariah's mouth, but I think we saw it right there. His response was like, what? There's, there's no way. There's no, I've been praying for years for this, and now you're telling me? Now I'm old, and you're coming to me and tell me that now's the time for this? But here's the thing. God's timing is always right. And a lot of times, God's timing doesn't match up with our timing. But here's what we can take peace in and confidence in is that God's always gonna do things in his way, in his time, in the way that he knows is best. And, and it's kind of hard for us sometimes to deal with this, but our personal happiness, our personal timelines, you know, it's not that God doesn't care about it, but he's got a bigger purpose in mind. And so when we're struggling through things, when we're praying for things and we're wondering, is God listening to this? Why isn't this happening? We must come back to the confidence and the faith that we have. Because you know, when it comes to prayer or, or our view of answered prayer, it can really affect our faith. I've had so many conversations with people who have decided to leave God behind or abandon their faith because they say God did not answer their prayer. God's timing is always right. Again, a little sidetrack here I want to want to take on. This is another big topic we could do a whole sermon series on, but it's the idea of, of how does God answer prayer? And I've always summarized the answer to prayer in, in that God gives us one of three answers. One of them is yes, right? We pray for something and, and pretty quickly we see God like do something or some stuff happens in our life and we see an answer to that prayer. Well, that's great when that happens, but I've come to see that a lot of times God may answer no, or a third answer, not yet, or, or wait. And I think that that's what Zechariah was experiencing here. As he had been praying for years, him and Elizabeth had been, been agonizing over the Lord. Would you give us a child? Could we have a child? And as they were old, it was in God's timing, it was in God's right timing that they saw the answer to that prayer. So for years, and think about it, if they were 60 to 70 years old, how long, how many decades were they praying this prayer? And seeking God, God, are you gonna answer? God, we're praying for this, we're praying for this, and, and, and we're not seeing it happen. How many decades were they waiting? And that answer may have seemed like a no, could have been a wait or a not yet, in God's timing, it came true. Can you relate to that? And sometimes you're just praying for something and it's like, God, you're, you're, you're not answering it. It might be a not yet. And this is where we come into the idea of waiting on the Lord. If God's timing is always right, we need to trust him and we need to wait 
for his timing, but that's not a, that's not a nice word in our culture. Uh, we don't like waiting for things. So um, we live over on the west side and, and uh, one of the most frustrating things for, for our family is when we're trying to get out of our neighborhood and get onto Sunland Park Drive and get down to I-10, there's one stoplight that lets us out of our neighborhood and that light takes forever. And so this is like a, a daily point of frustration that we're coming out. And if you get to that stoplight before 7 a.m., I don't know, it's like a magic trick. There's like a sensor and it immediately, like within 15 seconds, it turns green and we go. But if you get there like at 7.01, man, it's like you're invisible. That thing will not turn green and you're waiting there and you're waiting there and you're waiting there. And it's so frustrating. So my wife has chosen the tactic. Tara's chosen the tactic of ducking into the little parking lot of the office complex that's right at that intersection and cutting through. This isn't illegal, is it? Uh, I'm not, uh, I hope not because I'm gonna tell you something else in a minute that's, that's even worse. So she ducks through there and then she goes out like the other driveway that goes onto Sunland Park and then she pulls in and then makes a U-turn at the said red light and that saves her a lot of time unless, unless Sunland Park is really busy that day or if she times it wrong, then she gets to like the green arrow and it's still red and then the other light turns green and then you're just like, oh man, like what is going on, right? So you guys, you guys can relate to this. So the other day we're pulling up and my son asked me, dad, why don't you ever take the shortcut? Because that's what we call Tara's trick. We call it the shortcut. So we're pulling up and the light's red and, and, and Josiah's like, dad, why don't you ever take the shortcut? I'm sure there was a parenting moment in there and I totally missed it. But I was like, basically, I, I'm okay waiting. If I'm really in a hurry, I just run the red lights. <laughs> like, could, could, yeah, I do. I'm sorry. There's times when I know it's going to be like 18 minutes and 20 seconds before that thing turns green and there's no cars coming. So sometimes I, I, I run the red light. I'm sorry. I hope Chris Gates, is, oh, he is here. Police officer Gates. <laughs> Writing the report already. Man. So here's the deal though, with the times I'm not in a hurry, I know eventually that light's gonna turn green. It may take forever, it may take way longer than I think is reasonable, but that light is eventually going to turn green. And when we see the idea of waiting on the Lord and trusting God's timing, I think there's some, some truth to that. And so when we see this idea or this example of Zechariah and Elizabeth, for decades waiting on the Lord to bring his promise or to bring what their request is, Think back to how many other times we see waiting on the Lord in scripture. The nation of Israel waited on the Lord for, for 40 years before they entered the promised land, right? From the prophecy in Isaiah 9 about the promised Messiah to the events that we're reading about here in Luke chapter 1, almost 700 years the time between the last prophet of the Old Testament to these encounters in the New Testament, 400 years. And I'm complaining about waiting three minutes and something seconds for a red light. But when we wait on the Lord, we can be waiting for years, for decades, for centuries until he decides in his timing that this is when things are best. And this is the best way to move forward to accomplish my will, my glory, my plan. And it's different from yours, but we struggle with that. But we see some great examples of how to wait for the Lord. 
So I want to encourage you today, if you are relating to Zechariah and Elizabeth, if there's something in your life that you've been seeking the Lord for and you've been praying and praying and and asking and asking and it's not coming through, do not give up hope. You're waiting on the Lord and it's going to come, come to fruition in the way that he sees best in the timing that he sees best. You know, in 2 Peter chapter 3, if you want to turn there with me, I think this is a key verse, 2 Peter 3. Verses eight and nine. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance, God's timeline is not like our timeline. Long for us is not long for God. God's timing is always right and we can take peace, we can have confidence in that. He's always at work when we don't or can't understand his timing. We can have patience, we can wait for him. Here's a few more passages about waiting on the Lord. If you take notes, these are great ones to, to, to jot down and look up later, but in Psalm t- chapter 27, Psalm 27 verses 13 and 14, this is a Psalm of David, and he says, I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait. For the Lord. David was another one of those that experienced times of waiting in his life. He was about 14 years old when he was appointed as king. But it wasn't until he was 30 that he was anointed at king, of 16-year time period. So that, that's a long time in, in, our, in our minds, but it was God's timing to bring him to be the king of Israel. What did he want to do later in life? He wanted to build the temple, and God said, wait. It's not going to be for you. But why, God? I want to build this. I want it to be a symbol of your glory. And God said, wait, that's not my timing for you. And David didn't get to build the temple. You see that over and over in Scripture that, that we have certain desires that we want to take place. We want them to happen, and God has a different timing. We can wait on him with confidence, or we can ditch him and, and, and realize and think that, that he's, he's not really listening. He doesn't really Love us. Lamentations chapter 3, verses 25 and 26 says, The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him. To the one who seeks him, it is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. The prophet Isaiah said in chapter 40, verse 31, But those who hope in the Lord or wait on the Lord, is another translation, will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. So to wait on the Lord means that we have confidence in him, that we have hope in him and not hope as in wishful thinking like, like, like I hope the Cowboys win today or I hope the Cowboys win the Super Bowl. I'm a Cowboys fan, but that's wishful thinking at this point, right? But, but like hope is not wishful thinking. Hope in the Bible is expectancy. It's confidence. It's waiting for something to happen because we know God's gonna help it and cause it to happen, but it's gonna be in his timing. So when we wait on the Lord, it's not just like, well, I, I, I don't know what to do. I guess I'll just wait. No, it's like, God, I'm waiting and I'm looking because I know that you're at work 
And I know that you have timing for something. What do you want me to do in the meantime? Where are you working? How are you teaching me? Can you see how that can bring peace in our lives? When we're not like seeing the answer to prayer, when we're not seeing things happen immediately, that, that we know that God's timing is, is always right. That brings us confidence, that brings us peace. And that's actually what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 and 7. He says, humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Goes on to say, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. God heard the prayer of Zechariah. He knew the longing of Elizabeth's heart. And he accomplished his will in his timing. And it was the first of many events that changed the eternity of the world. These were world-changing events that Zechariah and Elizabeth were a part of and receiving a message directly from God. So a lot of times while we're waiting on the Lord, we wonder, well, well what do I do? What do what, what we do in the meantime? And I think there's a lesson from Zechariah and Elizabeth in that when we read earlier that they were seen as righteous in the sight of God. They obeyed the Lord's commands. And I think that's the biggest thing that, that we can look when we're waiting, let's seek the Lord. We don't just wait around and, and, and wait for him to do what we're asking. And then like, oh, cool, he did it. Now let's move forward. It's like, no, okay, God, I know you're at work. I know you have an amazing plan. I might not understand it. I know your timing is always right. I'm waiting on you. I'm hoping in that. I have peace in that. But in the meantime, I'm not just going to sit back and, and be, be sorrowful or, 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 or have, you know, pity on myself because you're not doing what I asked. No, let's, let's see what are we doing for the Lord? How do we seek him? How do we obey him? How do we serve him in the opportunities that he gives us while we wait expectantly, knowing that his purposes are going to be fulfilled in his timing? Does that make sense? So let's not just sit around and, and wonder, God, are you there? Let's serve him. Let's press in towards him. And even when it seems like it's too late for him to show up and come through, it's his timing and it's always right. Let me just finish this off by concluding our passage back to Luke chapter one. Verse 21 is where we left off. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak, which real quick side note, wasn't a vision. It was a physical interaction with an angel. They didn't know that. He couldn't tell them. They knew something had happened. Verse 23, when his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. In these days, he, he did it. It was his timing. And it may seem too late. And sometimes it seems like it doesn't come at all. But God's timing is always right. He knows what you're going through. He knows what you're longing for. He's listening. He loves you. Seek him. Wait for him. Have confidence in him. But in everything, keep pressing on to be obedient to him and to look for the ways that he wants to use you. Let's pray. God, we just come to you right now and I know that, that different things have come to mind for different people during this 
this sermon and, and, and things that, that may be very close or, or sensitive topics in their lives may be brought to their attention because of the things that we pour our hearts out to you for. We know that you know those things in our life. We know that you care about those things in our life. We know that you're faithful, that you answer prayer, sometimes with a yes, sometimes with, with a no or a not yet. But God, your timing is always right. And we wanna have faith and confidence in that this morning. So I just ask God that your Holy Spirit would provide that peace that we need through these tough times. I provide that, uh, ask that you would provide the, the confidence that we have to wait on you, the patience that we need to wait on you, but that in all things that we have that faith that you love us and that you've done everything for us to give us a chance to know you and experience these things that you give us. So I just pray, God, that you would just help us to consider all these things and move forward with confidence and peace in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. All to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him in his presence. 